Welcome back to the Buffalo Fatherhood Initiative podcast. I'm your host, Antoine Johnson, and we're ready for an exciting episode today. I got a guest for us, uh, really not a guest, I feel a lot more like family, my man, Jamal Davis um, from the Buffalo area. Uh, without further ado, I want to kick, on, kick it off right to him and want you to introduce yourself to the people. Well, first of all, giving honor and glory to God who's the head of my life. Without him, none of this will be possible. Thank you, Antoine, for just, you know, I'm really humbled to share this platform with you. Absolutely. Like he said, I'm Jamal. Um, I am from the East Buffalo. I am a graduate of Damon College, which is currently Damon University. I have my master's in leadership and innovation with a concentration in business. I'm also a entrepreneur. I own Brothers of Thunder Entertainment, LLC. We're a faith-based entertainment label here in the Buffalo area. I'm excited to be here because I have been a part of the Buffalo Fatherhood Initiative for about four or five years now. So, mm -hmm. and been able to share and grow in my fatherhood journey, um, um, what it is to to be a man of merit. Yeah, this is gonna be a good one today. Um, like I mentioned, Jamal and Jamal just mentioned he's been around for some time, uh, just about the same amount of time that I've been around uh, with the Buffalo Fatherhood Initiative. That is, and you know, both of us have been primarily kind of raised up in this Buffalo area. Um, fatherhood journeys are a little different. I talked about mine uh, during the, or some of the earlier episodes where my father was in my life, but but then later on, um, he he wasn't that much, right? And he, he was really kind of uninvolved and so forth and talked about how like the impact that has. Uh, but Jamal, can you share with uh, the people here, you know, what, you know, your journey was like around your father growing up and how that impacted you. Absolutely. Um, um, June 10th, 1992. My aunt, I was three years old. Um, my mother and my, my mother, and my father were married. There was four of us. I have three older siblings. Um, on that day, my aunt knocked on the door. My mother had left and went to the store. She said, where's your mother? She said, um, well, she went to the store. She said, well, when she get home, tell her to call me. Oh, by the way, your father died. Now, as a three-year-old kid, I had zero understanding of what that meant. Only thing I could remember was that um, he had helped. He was helping my grandmother move to Alabama. She was moving from Buffalo to Alabama, mm -hmm. and he had given my brothers and I all a hug and said, "I'll be back." And he was never able to make it back on that journey. So that caused me some lot of abandonment trauma growing up. I lacked understanding why that is because. You know, I held on to that promise that he had gave unto me, and um, it seemed that, like, it can never be fulfilled now. Right. So, first of all, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, I, I think that no matter how much time goes past, um, some things, like, we, we still feel them. We're still human, right? Um, can you talk a little bit more about how how you've taken things from that experience that right, the lack of your father have, having him there as a result of, of his passing um, and have been able to move forward, heal and grow as a man, the, the amazing man that you are today. Yeah, just. Um, um, it was hard because he also passed away the same month Father's Day is celebrated, so happy Father's Day to oh. the guys out there. So um, and my mother, she never wasn't a person to overcompensate, but she did do the best that she could as a parent. But that, like I said, it had a continual deficit to where um, I would cry just for no reason. And um, and just because I know that's what I wanted. 
And um, I would make a promise to myself that um, when I had children that I would never leave them. And um, little did I know that, um, that I would break that promise. And because um, I continued that promise when my children were born, when they were born, my older two. And I looked at them and the first held them and I made a promise to them that I would never leave them. You said something really quick um, or, or just a minute ago about you, you having, having had that experience and sometimes you, you cry, right? As a man, as a black man in particular, I think there's a lot of stigma around, you know, being able to cry or be emotional or, or any of that. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And I, I think that it does our community a disservice, our families a, a disservice and our kids when, when we do have them um, to, to always feel like we got to be so stoic or we can't show emotion and things of that nature. I had an opportunity to read a book called, uh, my goodness, it's by a gentleman by the name of Jason Wilson, Battle Cry. Oh, okay. Battle Cry. Uh, Jason talks about um, just like from like a scientific standpoint, when we cry, we actually release stress hormones, right? And and, and a lot of times when, when people, when, after we cry, we, we kind of feel lighter, right? You ever had an experience where you, you, you just got finished, you know, bawling your eyes out, you like, you feel a relief. For sure. And I think a lot of times as men, a lot of times while we're so angry and lashing out on people and all this other stuff is because we've never been told that we can feel and have emotions um, so that we can move forward and just just be who we need to be for ourselves and our families. But I digress. No, absolutely. I agree with you because I think that our community has the, the thought that strength is the absence of weakness. Mm. When strength isn't the absence of weakness, it's the ability to overcome it. Mm -hmm. So when we fall into that deficit and we bring that that battle within ourselves of I got to be strong and I can't be weak, it causes us to lash out and be um, destructive as far for lack of a better term, whether it be from um, a physical, mental, emotional, a societal, a community based, we can just become destructive. So unfortunately, that's a, it was a stigma that I carried. You know, I was called the crybaby growing up. I'm the Youngest of four boys, I had to fight for everything. You understand what I'm saying? So, um, when I, but you know, at at some point in times, when you're the youngest and the smallest, you know, they, they're gonna make you cry. So it was just that cry baby, cry baby, cry baby stigma. But I've learned that if I can't cry, how do I expect my children to be able to cry? Yeah. yeah. Um, I. And, you know, because a lot of times we just have these expectations on our children to be able to do things because that's human nature. But if we are preventing ourselves or if we're stopping ourselves or denying ourselves, we don't we get upset when we our children who mimic us follow in that same action. So I've learned that um, not that I I'm not going to tell you that I cry in front of my children because I don't. But I, I've learned that that I take that time in those moments, in those spaces when it's required for my, my release. Mm -hmm. And then I also encourage my children, um, whether it be with me, with um, their, um, their mother, or whether it be with a counselor, that they, it is okay to have that release. Yeah. It is good. It's not even just okay, it's good. It's great to have that release for yourself. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Um, yeah, so, so talk to us a little bit about you you were and you were starting to get into it, but you relate your relationship with your children, right? Like so you you talked about growing up 
um, and just some of the emotional pain and trauma around your father and, and how you felt about that. Now transitioning into fatherhood, tell us more about, about your journey. Right. So my older two children are nine months and two days apart. Yeah. I was 21 and 22 when I had them. And um, at that time, some, some, of our, some of us think we grown and we know mm -hmm. it all. Sir. And uh, boy, walking around with uh, having two crying babies back to back just was not an easy task. And then on top of that, um, I made poor choices in my youth to where I was incarcerated at that time. Mm -hmm. So not only did that where my daughter was placed in foster care, my son was out in another uh, one of the suburban areas. So I had no contact. They had no contact with one another. And yeah. then I had to work through this obstacle that I put myself in to, you know, get back to them and, and fulfill my promises. Cause I told you about the promise. And, and how long um, were you, did you have to be apart from them for two years? Okay. Uh, uh, for total 27 months or so two years, three months. Okay. And, um, and then my daughter was actually a little longer because um, I had custody of my daughter prior to me being incarcerated. And then it was removed from me, obviously because I was gone. So I had to work to regain custody and that occurred. December of 2019, she I finally regained custody of her and she returned home. So she was gone for about nine years. Okay. She was, yeah, stay with my mom. Okay. So, and we can talk about this later on, but I'm mm -hmm. sure you can help a lot of brothers out in terms of like how, you know, you, you rekindle and reconcile a healthy father-child, father-daughter relationship, you know, with, with, with the time span or the gap. Right. Between not being able to, to have that bonding time or what have you. So well, we don't have to go there now. So continue. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in that two year span, um, like I said, my son, he was a year old when I left. My daughter was two. Yeah. Now, my daughter and I, we've always had a very strong bond. She remembered me when I came and didn't have to miss anything. I would call her because she stayed with my mother. So I would call my mom every day. I would speak to her on the phone. So it was always that excitement of daddy's coming home. And I would tell her that I was at school or whatever. Okay. And uh, so my son, he had zero understanding of who I um, he actually thought my brother was his father. So when he first met my brother, he was he called him dad because my brother and I we resemble one another. Okay. And um, so when he saw when I when I met him, I had to introduce to him. I said he looked around. He said, "Who is this?" I said, "I'm your father." And right away there was an immediate denial. I can tell a denial of me in him. And and how old was he? At he the time? was four. Okay. It was an immediate just shut down. Immediate and just because. Um, him being with his mother and his aunts, it was all that he knew. He didn't know how to connect to a man. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so now my son and I, we really just connected finally last week. Okay. Finally last week. And I've been in his house. I've been, he's lived with me for the last eight years. You know, I've been there, haven't missed a thing. A football coach, basketball coach, t-ball coach. Uh, my son is on the honor roll, does great things, but we just connected last week. Okay, okay. All right, so I get tell it. Tell us more about what you mean by you just connected because you just described like everything <laughs> that dads do for the most part, right? Um, and and we have this 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 understanding in our fatherhood community that sometimes we as dads can be physically around but emotionally disengaged. Oh, yeah. I'm not I'm not saying that that was your situation, yeah. but but I I just want um I wanted to put that out there as you go into what it means for you guys having connected now. 
Yeah, um, uh, I I knew because of I was gone so early that I it was the responsibility was only on me to make sure that I did to work to to show my children that I'm there for them. And then, um, so with my daughter, like I said, we had a really strong bond. So she was involved in all of those sports, except for football, but t-ball and basketball were co-ed teams. So, so we, my daughter and I, we just had that bond. My son, he was always just very leery because he was afraid that I was going to leave again. He was oh. finally old enough last week to tell me this. Okay. And he was like that. Like I, he always had this concern that I was just going to leave and he would not be able to connect to me. So, wow. um, we, for a while now, we we have every Wednesday is family game night. <laughs> And then recently, because, you know, as your kids get older, they get teenagers and stuff like that, they get lives and go into. So for the last two weeks, it's just been me and him. Uh, my wife, uh, she is um, she's a surgical technologist for Mercy Hospital. So she her schedule changes is frequent. So for the last few weeks, it's just been me and him. So it's really given us an opportunity where. If he ever, anytime he ever wanted something from me, he always go to his mom first and have her come ask him. Anytime he ever, you know, so when we got to sit down and just talk and just really just play the game and. I got to show him the difference between me being competitive and then me being on his case. Yeah. And he got to see that there was a space there where like when he was winning, I didn't get upset cause he was winning. <laughs> okay. Like, you know what I mean? Cause like, <laughs> yeah. he was, I think he was a little nervous that if he like won the game, I would be angry. I'm like, no, yeah. you, I always want my children to be better than me. I yeah, want yeah. you to perform better than me. Yeah. yeah. You know, my job is just to be an up, lift for you so mm-hmm. and then once that happened man he just the dam broke he said that i i, I was afraid that you would leave again mm-hmm. and i was afraid that I, and, I, and i told you about my father and what i went through so that right. hit me like oh okay and now as a person of faith who makes a concerted effort to practice my faith i i could only give glory to the one i know who is because it was a sense of reconciliation a sense of healing for my That's family right. because I was not only able to stand there and and speak to my son as a man who understood what that was with the little boy within, but as a man who can stand here in a sense of stability and a sense of resilience and a sense of understanding that I am sustainable, that son, I am here and I'm not going anywhere. You hit on something. And I think I struggle with it so I can relate as a as a young boy going transitioning into manhood or what at least what i thought i was trying to do i struggled with with the fear of rejection and abandonment issues from my father and is 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 just so um i don't want to say interested but but um i don't know i have no words for it but but just to hear how you're describing your your son being able to articulate himself and and share those things with you that i'm sure probably wasn't easy for him to admit to you because he could have thought that you're going to get mad at him or whatever. Um, but so for him to, to be able to say that and then you to be able to speak to it in terms of like being a father and reassuring him and all those things are huge. Um, because again, there are a lot of grown adult 50, 60, 40, whatever guys that, that still struggle with rejection, um, or being rejected and, and issues of related to abandonment because of the, 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 the relationship that they had with their father or the light thereof. So I, I just appreciate you kind of opening that up. Um, so for for men out there who never were able to have the experience that you have with your son, you're able to speak to his, dare we say, father wound, right, that, that he had. At yeah, that's point. exactly what it is. Um, what would you say to an adult man who may also be a father in terms of how he can 
overcome some of his um, issues related to his father if he ever felt uh, abandoned or rejected or rejected? Like, what, what would you say he ought to do? So it's, a, it's both sides. It's two sides to that coin. The one when when you're the father working with your child, mm. I would encourage them what I did. Every time I thought I was right, I, I had to tell myself that I was wrong when it came to the fatherhood and the fatherhood journey. And it's not that, you know, you beat yourself up. You don't do that at all. It's just that as a parent, you know, sometimes we have an expectation of how we may want our children to act or to perform or things of that nature. So when they may not fulfill that, that thought that we think they this should be, that can bring about a level of frustration or it can bring about um, just like a level of anxiety of what we can be doing wrong. So for me, I had, or, or we can bring about a sense of pride because we can say to ourselves, I've done everything right. Why can't you just do? So for me, um, who tends to lead more of a, a prideful sense and I, and I work in the practice of humility, I had to acknowledge that, okay, what I might've done for him or the technique I might've done for him might not have worked for him. So I may have to take a step back, rearrange things and then represent it to him, present it to him to in a way to where not that I'm giving him something, yeah. I'm presenting an opportunity for him to take something. See, there's a difference there. There's a difference. See, when you're giving something to someone, there there's not there's no opportunity to take it because I gave it to you. Yeah. But when I present an opportunity for you to take of your own, that means you have to have the cognitive understanding that this is something that I want for me and let me grab it. And bring it into myself. So as, as you say that, just so so it's like real simple, what exactly are you you describing? Like the give and take type of Okay. Um I'm trying to figure out a way to, to say that in a way. Um when I communicate with my children, I provide opportunities more than I provide directions. Uh so the opportunity is for them to get an understanding and then they can grow in their wisdom. Where the direction is more so, do as I say. Right, right. That makes sense. Yeah, makes and sense. and what it does is it allows me to tailor my to tailor my father. You know, for first off, <laughs> um, um, having a really strong support system is important in that tailor. So, working with you know the Buffalo Fatherhood Initiatives and in the groups in which we've worked, that helped me grow. I didn't. I would tell my kids all the time. I don't go there to tell them what type of good dad that I am, I go there because like, I need to be able to learn this stuff so I can bring it back to y'all. Right, right, so right. it's, it's, it's really just being made. And, and I say all of these things when it comes to providing opportunities and support voting and having a strong support system is the practice of humility and being willing to learn and grow. Yeah. The, the practice of humility, I, I, it's huge because a lot of times I struggle. I don't, always, I don't like to say we, even though other men do struggle with this. But sometimes I struggle with having the humility to say, I'm sorry, or I was wrong. I shouldn't have did that. The other day I was with my kids and my daughter did something to my son. Like she put his feet in his face or something like that. And I'm like, man, like, don't do that. <laughs> um, yeah, and, you know, when she's three, so there's things that she just doesn't, she don't understand her own strength. She mm -hmm. don't, you know, she, and she's, she's developing and growing. She, it's just certain things she don't understand. But I overreacted. Mm -hmm. I overreacted. She cried, and I had to take a step back and, and apologize and embrace her. And and I'm really learning that from my wife because I'm just not naturally affectionate and stuff. So I'm I'm, I'm learning. <laughs> that's, <laughs> but, but that's, that's, the piece. that's the humility part, right? Yeah. Because one thing we got to do is we got to acknowledge that there's not one person in this world that's humble. No. 
humility is a practice. Mm. You see, the thing is that when when we when we understand that, we understand that pride is a practice. Mm-hmm. You know, pride is something that was developed over a time. A baby, when it comes out of the womb, is only know a few things. Mm-hmm. Knows how to suck, know how to cry, know how to, you know, poop, pee, things of that nature. So yeah. these learned behaviors, if we understand that they're practices, and then we try to um, 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 encourage ourselves or, like, or challenge ourselves to, to take on these practices, yeah. it, it leaves room for us to just realize that I don't ever have to be humble a day in my life. I just have to practice a little bit. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So, so, so you talked about your relationship with your son and your daughter. Um, I didn't even get on the baby. I got a three-year-old too. I didn't even get on him yet. Oh, that's a whole nother. Cause it, it was like, cause I had another boy and, um, okay. he, uh, it, it, it really brought full circle okay. because this time I got to be there for the times that I missed with my first son. So I had the first acknowledge when my wife was pregnant we had to work through the trauma of my son because he's going to see his little brother get everything that he didn't get. Okay. So we had, we enrolled him in counseling and we began to prepare him as my wife was pregnant, that listen, this is what's going to happen. And you don't get, you didn't get anything less because I wasn't there. Okay. And, and um, same thing for my daughter. But secondly, with my son, you know, uh, my, my younger son, like I got to spoil him. I got to do all the things that I didn't do. About. So uh, he's just, uh, he's spoiled, but um, he does, um, it does give me an opportunity to really like um, reconnect with uh, my children because um, my two boys, they're eight and a half years apart, but they look just alike. Okay. Like, it's like we had the same baby twice. Their baby pictures, you put them <laughs> side by side, like just alike. So okay. um, he, so when I see my children, it's like going through a time warp. It's like, oh, okay, let me, where am I? Yeah. yeah. And, but um, it's, it, it gives me a reason to practice humility. So I'm trying to, Push it back to you in your next question because I was rambling. Uh, all right, that's I totally forgot you had a. So we both. I got a three year old too. My mm-hmm. daughter's. Um. All right. So we talked. So we talked about your your fatherhood journey, like transition and what that was like. So talk to us about, you know, because of you know all of the things that you had to fight through, you know where you are today. You know, and I know you got the master's degree. You got your own business, um, brothers with other entertainment. And you like a low key a preacher and all this stuff. Like talk, talk to us about where you are today, um, and 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 just the impact that you're making, and then also the work that you're doing around fatherhood within working with incarcerated fathers. The, the one thing I love to do is one thing I love to understand is that when I'm not in the limelight, it gives me way more opportunity to get the work done. Mm-hmm. So I and that allows me to impact my community. So I'm um, starting with working with incarcerated folks. I got to go into my story and what that was looking like for a while. So when I was presented with the opportunity, I was truly humbled and excited because I got to really put an impact on some, you know, on people that like I've been in that situation. You know what I'm saying? It's not like, you know, you ever been to somewhere you could tell a person just read a book or they saw a movie on something that they were talking about and they didn't realize what was going on. Mm-hmm. So um, bringing that level of authenticity was just like exciting for me. So um, the first couple of groups, I was a little nervous just because I was like, man, I don't know if these guys are really going to you know, I mean, hear what we have to say, but um, we got a great team. Um, um, Terry, Terry is, uh, he's an individual that I, uh, even when I'm not around him, I look to him in the community because he just got so much wisdom. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so it was like, like, I get to hear like a, someone who's like <laughs> a generational leader, you know, father, grandfather, all that stuff. And really get to just like 
um, work on here what it's like for somebody who may be grouchy to to really what it is they got to work through and not get caught in their own head. And I'm bringing up my team here for a reason, y'all, because it's going to show the impact that we have on the men. Um, Mike is another Mike is Mike is like a firecracker, man. Like oh, yeah. he just like his energy is like <laughs> unmatched. Like I, it's unmatched. And being able to, to work in that space and work in that energy just really gave me an opportunity to like really like push passion. You understand what I'm saying? Like Mike pushes passion. Like it's crazy. So I said all that to say as far as my team, because I always want to give him a shout out on any platform that I'm on. But when we're working with men who are separated from their children and don't have you know, have very limited contact from their children. And, but they also have the opportunity and the space to work on some of the tools. So when they reconnect with their children, what, what can they do? Some of our men are going upstate. Like we, you know, we have men that's, you know, looking at, you know, up to 10 years, you know, and, and being gone for 10 years. And, you know, when they come home, their, their child is going to be essentially an adult. Yeah. So, you know, giving, helping them with the tools and on how they can connect now and, you know, prepare their child for this journey. Cause yeah. We work in the holding center. We work with, you know, um, Erie County Holding Center. Um, the state is another beast. Um, so um, being able to prepare men for that. And then there's the men who don't have that long journey, who will be able to reconnect with their children relatively soon. We want to, how do we encourage and be a support to them so when they come home, they can stay in their kids' lives? Yeah. You know, one of the things that, you know, that uh, many of the men acknowledged before was, now that they had the time to sit down and realize, they realized how much of a uh, of an absentee father they were, and they wanted to 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 make that change, you know. So uh, I think of uh, my uh, my buddy James in the last group. Uh, James was one of our younger fathers, um, and James, if you see this, shout out to you, man. But he was one <laughs> of our younger fathers that um, who had the crazy, you know, uh, situation with the, the mother of his children and all of that stuff. And he was really adamant about, you know, he only had a little bit of time left on how he was going to use this stuff when he get home yeah. to try to communicate with them that though they're not in a relationship, he has to still be there for these kids. Right. And, and so far it was working for him over the phone. His mom was able to get like his kids together and he was able to talk to them both at the same time. But we, we, we want to hope for and pray for sustainability in that because yeah. that's the goal. Absolutely. Absolutely. So before we get off of that topic, and, and we really appreciate you um, for doing this work, because one of the things that we realized early on when we were approached to support fathers in that way was that I, I don't have that lived experience. And, and as you mentioned in the beginning, like there's only so much book and theory that, you, that you're going to talk to somebody before they, they're like, man, like I need somebody that I can relate to. Right. Like I can, I can only go so far. And because we like to be sensitive um, and aware of people's circumstances or their or just even their mindsets, sometimes like we need an expert. Right. Like so we look to you as our as our, you know, fatherhood expert in that in that regards. Um, and not to put you know a ton of pressure on you, but but you do what you do very well. Um, and I know that our whole team has a lot of respect for you um, as it relates to this work. Thank you. And I'm really humbled by that. You know, um, our team is great. It's, it's, um, it's can't be, and this is an important message. Um, I saw on your LinkedIn, um, that you have yourself listed as a fatherhood practitioner that changed my outlook on all of this work because the, remember talk about humility being a practice, mm -hmm. you know, fatherhood mm -hmm. is this. And I'm like, yes. And I, so, you know, following you and in your work as you lead, 
because and I don't mean to put a whole bunch of pressure on you and things of that nature. You know, pressure on me, man. Nah, not doing that because we're your support. <laughs> nah, we're not doing that at all. But you know, um, the person who is that I like to look to um, has designated you as the the person who leads this part of the journey for however long that you're there. So um, to to able to be able to um, to follow that, it's it's been humbling. My I, I talk about my education, but um, but my master's is in leadership and innovation with okay. a concentration in business. But I like to say that I have a bachelor's in followership mm. because, you know, in order to be able to lead, you yeah. must know, first know how to follow. Yeah. And um, yeah. you came in and with a program from the ground up, not having no kids like, oh, my God. So now and then I see your journey in the community and the impact. We're talking about potential new partnerships or opportunities to where we can connect with different fathers and just be a support. Yep. Yep. That's it. Can you talk a, a little bit about your education? So I know you're a super humble guy. Yeah. Right? Uh, you know, like talk about the credentials, but I think it's important for men who may not feel like, man, I just, I've, I've been incarcerated for X amount, a number of years, and I don't know what it looks like for me to complete the, the GED or, or the, the bachelor's or the master's or get some sort of apprenticeship. Like how, how can I get to the other side after having had an experience like being incarcerated? Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Um, uh, prior to like, I got summer uh, May. I got incarcerated in July of 2012. May of 2012, I I got my associate's degree from ECC. So um, I had that part of my journey pr done prior. So when I came home and I was on parole, um, I knew that I couldn't be good. Um, there, there, there. It's just been through too much. I had to be great. And part of being great was, you know, um, trying to push myself and to do things differently. So I was the assistant general manager at Jim Stakeout Chippewa location at the time. And I said, um, which colleges in the area has a free application fee? Because I'm broke. And so I went on the computer at Jim's and I came upon Damon and I and then I just what it was, was you you got to you, you can't be afraid to fill out the application. That's the hardest part, because when you get to that box. When they ask you, that's that's that is the hardest part. I promise you, that's the hardest part. So one, as long as you can just submit it and let it go, and then be willing to go through the process, you will give yourself every opportunity you need. And when you say that box, you mean when they ask about you? Have you ever been convicted of a yeah. felony? You just gotta you just gotta answer it and move on. Because yeah. at the end of the day, normally nine times out of ten on an application, there's questions after that. Yeah. So just answer the question, answer the question for what it is, and move on. And when you say answer the question, you mean answer the question honestly. Honestly. Right. Okay. Like, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me say that. Let me say that because I don't want to try to put anyone on the blast or on the spot or anyone, but just answer it. Boop, boop, boop. And, and, and when you answer it, don't, don't hold on to that fear yeah. because it's, it's, it's um, false evidence appearing real. Mm -hmm. So it's like and then you know, a book that I like to read says, um, I wasn't given that spirit. I was given the spirit of power, love, and the sound mind, what I equate to be courage. So, um, yeah, and once you get past that and you get to that submit piece, you that's it. And then when you get into school or when you – because ECC, I would encourage any person to start there. Um, if the Men of Merit program was at ECC when I was going out and enrolled and that, I, I finished that with honors. That stuff wasn't around when I was there. Mm -hmm. I had to figure – I had to – 
go through that academic part of my process all by myself. I was going to school from 8 o'clock in the morning to 9 o'clock in the evening while living at a homeless shelter while fighting a criminal case. So it was like, it was just so many, it was just so many reasons to for me to focus on school. that That's why. But when I got to Damon, it was different. I had children. I was older. I wasn't 20 one or 18 I felt like I was 28 I'm like oh I'm about to go into class and sit with babies one of the <laughs> I was in economics class and um, one of the young ladies God bless her um she uh we were is an economics of inequality and she said um we were talking about what food stamps are she looked at me she said what is food stamps mm. oh you you have truly been blessed <laughs> so <laughs> yeah so it's like you know being and now Damon is a, a private institution here in western New York so it's just like you know a lot of that crowd had you know some the majority of that crowd had that understanding yeah so it was like being older having the experience of being incarcerated then having children it was like oh i'm going to get through this but um because i wasn't afraid it provided the ultimate opportunity me being a non-traditional student um i got to take my kids to class with me sometimes so my kids were five and six sitting in the college class with me and i you know and then there were opportunities to where like i got to fill in the gap for the students who didn't understand because i had that lived experience when they didn't Right. So um, it actually um, um, worked out for me networking wise. My professors uh, um, were phenomenal. Um, some they knew of my incarceration, so they you know so it wasn't like I had to keep that secret. I just got to go there and be me and grow. Yeah. And then when and when I came to get, I graduated with my bachelor's. I started a job. I, um, um, I was an education coordinator where you and I met at the Buffalo City Mission, mm-hmm. which um, I had. I was like I said when I was working on my associates, I was at the homeless shelter. So I was like, "Oh man, this is full circle. I don't got to do anything else, and whatever the case may be." But um, I was introduced to my master's program because uh, the program director came into my bachelor's level course, and she did a presentation, and she was speaking my natural language, and it was a language where no one understood me and i was like finally and i was like but i got all this going on i don't know if i can do it again she she and i god bless her christina coil you know i love you um this is the best decision i made she reached out she said jamal are you sure because we're about to have a cohort start in a few weeks and i was like i have to take this opportunity while it's here yeah and i jumped into it and i got my master's and um yeah so that's I went four years cool. straight. Wow, that's super cool. That's super. So we only have a couple minutes left. Um, want to make sure that this has been a really good conversation. By the way, I, I just appreciate you being here and blessing us with, with all your wisdom and life experiences. And I and I'm, I know you help somebody else out there. Um, but but talk. Let's talk a little bit about Father's Day coming up. Father's Day coming up. You reminded me of that. I'm like, man, <laughs> how in the world? I'm a fatherhood <laughs> practitioner, right? I, I didn't forgot. You know, one of the things you you like alluded to the, the, or talked about this word practice and, you know, different things like that. And Sherman would say uh, sometimes that it's a it's a practice. It's not a perfect. And and I love that statement because, man, it it, it truly is like I, I don't I don't know that we ever like truly perfect any particular thing. We just keep improving and getting better and better. So how can somebody ever be humble? Yeah. How can everyone, you know what I'm saying? How can yeah. someone ever be prideful? You know what I'm saying? Because it's, it's all a practice. And I, I definitely agree with you. Now, as, um, as far as tomorrow, Father's Day, um, I am truly just going to, the morning I have, we're going to play games all day. Mm-hmm. We have uh, Monopoly. We have Deal or No Deal. Because we do game night every week. But okay. I ask them, can we do this for me? Father's Day. Yeah, for Father's Day after church. Um, um, but we're just going to play games, and then um, um, 
I love waffles and I love breakfast for dinner. Uh, so I am going to make and I and I love to cook. So it's not that my wife won't do it or she didn't, you know, wouldn't do it. But I asked her, would it be okay if I did it? Um, if I got to make breakfast for dinner. So we're gonna do waffles, eggs, bacon, and stuff like that. Just because like um I'm very thankful for the gifts that they get me. They're gonna get me something. I don't know what it is. Very thankful for that. Um, but I know what it's like to be away from them on Father's Day. So I need to be able to for whatever random reason, just hug one of my children. And as long as I can do that, I can, I'm successful with it. Wow, you answer a lot better than mine. Um, so <laughs> I, I don't cook. And so my wife has volunteered, I didn't even ask, uh, to make breakfast. And she gonna hook up some waffles too. She, oh, she do. Come on. Man, she do a lot of stuff from scratch, and I I so appreciate that. God really bless me. <laughs> yes, it uh, <laughs> yes, it does. But um, you know, one of the things that I get hung up on Father's Day sometimes is like, man, we don't get the same recognition as moms. Hello. Like, man, listen, my wife was talking about Mother's Day three months before Mother's Day showed up. I'm like, my, why are you talking about Mother's Day right now? I had my <laughs> Mother's Day gift three months before, just because I know <laughs> this conversation gonna come up. People know. People yeah. know. And I have family members, I ain't gonna say no names, <laughs> that get upset if you don't get them the right thing or say the right thing, get the right car on Mother's Day. That's now, right. Father's Day comes. Take this tie. Everybody's relaxed, get a tie. <laughs> you go out there and barbecue in the back. I was listening listen to a gentleman yesterday. He was like, yeah, my family wanted me to barbecue. I don't feel like barbecuing. And 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 sometimes we just want to chill, right? We don't want to have to barbecue. We ain't got no football. We ain't got right? nothing. <laughs> yeah, none of that this time. We got nothing. Basketball. Yeah. Nothing. Can um, we chill? <laughs> can yeah, we, we chill? Just, just want to relax. Come on. Um, but no, in all, all seriousness, happy Father's Day. Yeah, um, happy Father's Day to you out there. there. This episode is going to premiere a little um, sooner, so you'll be hearing this a little later. But June is actually also Men's Health Month. So for all of you men out there who have not gone to your doctor's appointments, um, not checked up on your health, apart from something major happening, go take care of yourselves. Come Why? On. Because when you're healthy, your children is, are healthy. Studies show that when us as fathers, we take care of our health and we're doing what we're supposed to do. That our kids are more likely to receive this the, the the healthcare and all the support that they need, and I'm I'm kind of borderline hypocrite that I have not I haven't been in the, to uh, the doctor since post COVID, but I just went a couple of weeks ago, which is why I can say this is right now. Uh, but but no, seriously, no, our health is important. Yeah, we we, we got to learn how to just want to be healthy. Yeah, that, you know, it's okay to just want to be healthy. It's not you know you don't, we don't I, we don't like talking about ourselves. We don't like to be in the center of attention. We don't like to be made a fuss about. But it is good to be healthy. That's right. That's right. Listen, this has been a really great episode. Um, feel blessed and honored to have you here. Um, I hope that we can continue to partner and collaborate with you. For sure, for sure. Forward. And for those of you who are listening to this, please hit that subscribe button, as my man Sherman would say. Uh, and um, man, because of the, the late Jerry Springer that recently passed, Sherman would say, take care of yourselves and each other. <laughs>